you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a piece of useless trivia here. Okay, ready? Piece of useless trivia. Yeah, I don't know when you will ever use this, but here you go. The word pursue has 3,808 synonyms. There you go. 3,808 synonyms. Words like follow, track, bird dog, trail, run down, stalk, trace, hunt, and 3,000 more. There you go. I don't know how you'll ever use that. But the idea of that is here. We may not use that word very much. We may not use the word pursue very much. But we certainly act on it. We do it more than we say it. For example, you pursue a career. You pursue a relationship. You pursue good health. Uh, You pursue, I mean, any number of things you're pursuing. But the question is, what are you pursuing? Are the things that we are in pursuit of beneficial to us? Do they help us? Or are the things that we're pursuing, are they detrimental to us? I think sometimes we just have to come to grips with what is it that we're pursuing? What is it that we're bird dogging? What is it that we're trailing? What is it that we're running down? What is it that we are pursuing? Because is it beneficial to us? Because some of the things that we're pursuing are good. Some of the things that we're pursuing are neutral. Some of the things that we're pursuing don't benefit us at all. They just don't. I want to be in a place where the things that I pursue are beneficial to me. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. We talked about this last week. He said, I want to know Christ. Now, just hold on that thought for a minute. I made it very clear last week that it is just extraordinary to me that the Apostle Paul, of a person of his stature, of his position of faith, would make that declaration that I want to know Christ. But yet that was the pursuit of his life was to know Jesus. And and so we begin with this thought. There is nothing better than knowing Christ. That's a pursuit worth pursuing. Amen? There's nothing better than knowing Christ. We need to pursue it. That is, if anything is beneficial, pursuing Christ is beneficial. So I would ask, are you pursuing Christ? I hope so. And if you haven't figured it out already, we're going to talk about pursue today. Pursue. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading at verse number 12, and you can open your Bibles to Philippians 3, you can take that electronic version and open it, I always encourage you to do that, follow along, and you know, I know it's a little old school at this point for you to have an actual Bible in your hands, but can I encourage you, go a little old school, it's okay, it's okay, grab that Bible, let those pages rustle and turn, figure it out, mark it up, let it be something that you will, you'll treasure it the rest of your life. Grateful for that. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up 
to what we have already received. Father, I pray you speak life to us through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Four things or four qualities that Paul that Paul models and expresses about his pursuit of Christ. And I think they're easily understood in us of what we can do. These four things are very important for us as we pursue Christ. The first is this. The pursuit of Christ is humble. It's humble. Now, last week, again, I, I know there, these two messages really run together very closely. Last week, I talked about this individual that you might have encountered. That's the know-it-all individual. They are the smartest person in the room. And if you didn't figure it out, they will be sure and tell you they're the smartest person in the room. Those folks, you know, oh, you know, that's just, they're difficult to be around. But what is significant about what Paul is saying? Paul is, he is not that person. And really, this idea of arrogance and pride has no room. There's no place for it in our pursuit of Christ. None. Because it's not about that. Paul says, look, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, can put confidence, I have that. I've got all that going on. He says, but that's not what it's about. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Listen to how he states it. I'm going to put verses 10 through 12 together. Look how it runs. Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yeah, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, all this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I want to know Christ. Now, I haven't got it all. I haven't got it all figured out. But I'm going to keep pushing towards this goal. I'm pursuing this. I'm pursuing knowing Christ. Paul's not saying to those in Philippi that he's achieved all of this. But what he does say is powerful. It's powerful. And it's worth putting into practice. It's all about humility. And there are really two things about humility. The first one is this. As we pursue Christ, we need to be appropriate in our self-assessment. We need to take an honest look at who we are. Just simply said, an honest look at who we are. Now, I can be, and I have been, very self-deprecating. I can do a lot of negative self-talk. Maybe you can do the same thing. We sometimes do it in jest. We do it for fun. We don't really take it all that seriously. But that's not what Paul is doing here. He is not being, he's not being critical of himself in a, in, a, in a way that is inappropriate. But rather he is taking an honest and true assessment of who he is. He says, I want to know Christ, but I haven't received it all. But that's the pursuit of my life. There's nothing greater for me. There's no greater priority in my life than knowing Christ. But I haven't got there yet. I haven't, I, I haven't obtained, I haven't received all that I could achieve and receive. Paul is rightly assessing himself in light of what he knows of Christ and what he's learning. What he's learning. There's no know-it-all here. And this is the Apostle Paul saying that. He's taking a humble approach at knowing Christ. When I look at scriptural illustrations of this, one person sticks out really, really well. And it's Moses. Listen to what we learn of Moses. Chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 10. None of this is in your notes. Just listen carefully to this. Moses says to God, he says, I have never been eloquent 
and I spoke to you. Now, was he was he honest in that? Yeah, he was. He's just telling God. Now, he honest. You can look at the story of Moses, and you know that he's reluctant to take the leadership that God's asking. I get that. And maybe you can say, well, it's just an excuse, Jerry. That's just an excuse. Okay, I can give you that too. But I also believe that's an honest self-assessment. That I just don't, I don't speak well in front of people. I'm not eloquent. Okay, that's honest. A little bit later in the story, you go to Exodus 31, and now you see Moses has assumed the leadership of Israel. They're now in the desert. And here's what we read in chapter 31. Moses saying to God, he says, if your presence doesn't go, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and, and with your people unless you go with us? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Now let me just stop before I read the last part. There, there's, a, there's a subtle difference here. He's saying, I'm slow, I'm not eloquent of speech. I, 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 I don't talk well in front of people. God provides for him. And now, over a period of time, he's growing in his relationship with God. And now he's having this dialogue with God. And he says, God, don't take us one more step unless you go with us. We need your presence. I need your presence. And then he says, I'm going to do what you ask, Moses, because I know you. And I know you by name. And now listen to what Moses says next. Moses says, now show me your glory. What is he saying? I've progressed. Yes, this is who I am, but... I've moved into a different relationship with God, and now there's only one thing I want. Give me more of who you are. He's pursuing. He's pursuing it, but he's doing it from a position of humility. Humility. We read on in Numbers 12 and verse number 3. Listen to how Moses is described. A very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. You see how this Humility is working to grow him with God. It wasn't an arrogance. It's not like he lorded it over anybody. In fact, if you read the story of Moses, when God, when they would do something just ridiculous, he would literally fall on his face before God and say, God, be merciful to these people. Be mer- humble. Humble, but yet he wants God. He wants more. Deuteronomy 34 and verse number 10. No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Do you see God exalted him as he remained humble and in his pursuit of God? And then finally, in Acts chapter 7, we read Moses was powerful in speech and action. Moses illustrates to us an appropriate self-assessment but of an ever-increasing desire and knowledge and the pursuit of God. I want to be that way. I trust you do as well. An appropriate self-assessment. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority, Paul says, God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest. Be honest. Second thing is humility to remember that pursuing Christ is a journey and not a destination. And I think some of us, we just, well, every parent in the room, if you're a parent, no matter where, no, if you're a parent, or if you're a school teacher and you happen to happen to drive the bus, okay, here are four words that you have heard. 
on some journey, some travel somewhere, are we there yet? That's exactly how many of us look at our pursuit of Christ. We want to arrive. We want it there. But there's nothing to indicate that it is a destination. A pursuit of Christ is a lifelong joy and delight to pursue Jesus. And I, and I would say that Peter just does it, he says it exactly right. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and I use a good news translation for these words, but continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and forever. Amen. The, the other translations will say, but grow, or grow in the, I love this because it, it reflects what I believe should reflect each of our lives. We should continue to grow our faith. We have not arrived yet, nor will we. You say, but that is so frustrating. No, there's nothing greater than a pursuit of Christ. Why? When Paul would say, I want to know Christ, and in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead, I want to tell you something. If, that Paul, if Paul is saying, I want to pursue Christ, shouldn't we? It's not a destination. It's a journey. It's a journey. What a delightful powerful journey and i will say our joy regardless will be sustained as we continue to pursue christ with humility humility the, sec the second thing is that this pursuit is determined determined now i didn't say predetermined i said it's determined it possesses determination i have an eight month old granddaughter her name is mabel and uh, she is the most beautiful perfect and wonderful eight month old in the entire world just so you know. I say you're prejudiced. You say, uh-huh, you bet I am. And she's still, that is my story. She is delightful. And her middle name is really special. It's Marcy's middle name, uh, Maven Jean. So that's really special that she is, has a family name. That's thrilled Marcy to death. No, no question about it. Maven loves bath time. Now, she's eight months, and she's starting to crawl pretty aggressively. Now, why do I say she loves bath time? All, you, all Amanda has to do is turn the bath water on, and she, if she is on the ground, she's on her way. She is determined. She will get to the tub, and she, she Amanda says, if I turn away from her for two seconds, she literally is just gone. She's in that stage of, of life, and it's really, really special. She's determined. She's determined. Are you determined in your pursuit of Jesus? Paul does a masterful job of really helping us understand what, what determination looks like. And he does it in three ways. The first thing he says, well, let, let, before, I, before I get there, he says something that kind of underscores his determination. He uses the words, I press on twice. It's not just sufficient for him to say it once. He says it twice. I press on. Now, what does it look like? The first thing it does, it focuses. It focuses. You see, he says it this way. One thing I do. Not, not two things. Now, I don't know if multitasking was a thing in the first century. It might have been, but they may not have had that phrase as would, would have been a, you know, a popular phrase. It is today. We all get what multitasking is. That Paul is very, very clear. In his pursuit of Christ... He's focused on 
one thing, one thing, I press on for one thing. What is that one thing? To know Christ. To know Christ. One thing, one thing. I'm going to say something that I believe is absolutely true. You focus on that one thing, a lot of other things just going to disappear in the corner. That will take precedence. That will overwhelm your life in good ways. That one thing. That one thing. So he says that one thing. Psalm 63 in verse number 1. The psalmist says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water, can I just stop for a minute? Most of us at this particular moment in 2020 would say we are living in a parched, thirsty, weary, dry, miserable land. And I'm not talking about America. I'm just talking about our circumstances. Come on now. Am I right? I feel that way. We're still, Marcy and I are still waking up and asking ourselves, what what day is this? Tuesday? Friday? Thursday? I don't know what day it is. We just keep on going one day after the other. I'm glad I found out today was Sunday, you know, and I showed up, right? Literally, literally, we are parched. We are thirsty. We are living in a dry land. But look at what the psalmist says. Oh, God, you are my God. Now, look at this. I earnestly search for you. Ready? My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. When's the last time you described your pursuit of God in those terms? How determined am I to pursue God? Do I thirst? Do I long? Do I search? Because if I do, I am focused on the one thing. Second thing that Paul does, he says, he forget, it forgets. This one thing forgets. Now, some of us, not all of us, some of us, we have a tendency to kind of to kind of live in the past. We kind of look at the stuff that's back here, and it doesn't always have to be bad. Okay? It can even be good things. But we rely so heavily on what was, we don't look at what is and what could be. A phrase I picked up a number of years ago, I'll leave with you, and I've used it a number of times, I'll use it again. We learn from the past, we live in the present, and we look to the future. That should be our perspective. And we are to forget what is behind us. Now understand, Paul had plenty of regrets. This is a guy who persecuted the church, put him in jail, approved of their death. He had tons of regrets, but he says, this one thing I do, I forget what is behind me. And I would imagine if Paul were here and had the benefit of speaking to each one of us, he says, I am forgetting all the crud that was done that I did. I am forgetting the victories, the good things, and I am pressing on. Why? I am determined to know Jesus. You see, it's not our past experiences of Jesus that will get us through today. It is our present experiences with Jesus and our pursuit of him right now that will propel it, that will strengthen us for today and it will propel us into tomorrow. It's every day. It's every day. Isaiah 43. Listen to this. I love what God says. But forget all that. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do. Come on, that should just get you a little, just even a little, just a little. 
I'm about to do something new. Can anybody say amen to that? Let's keep it going. See, I have already begun. Did you know something? God is already at work in the midst of COVID-19. He is already at work at this particular moment. People are coming to faith. People are being healed. The gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward regardless of the restrictions and the difficulties we may have. I want you to know that God is in the house and he is at work in our lives. Don't ever, don't ever, ever back down on what God is doing. He's doing it. I'm grateful for that. I trust you are as well. But look, I've already begun. Don't you see it? I like this. I will make a path in the wilderness. And I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. Remember we talked about that parched, thirsty? What is God's promise? Rivers. Rivers. I love it. I love it. So this little phrase, hang on to this one. When your past calls, your past calls, don't answer it. It has nothing new to say. Okay? When your past calls, don't answer it. It has nothing new to say. Praise God. It focuses, it forgets, and one more. It strains. It strains. I love that word. Now, I, I'm going to tell you something. I love to watch, I love to watch world-class sprinters. And there is the world-class of all world-class, Usain Bolt. He has retired from competitive, uh, from, from competition. But there's a lot of reasons I love this. I love this. Look at him smiling. Don't, don't you love it? You know, and I want to tell you something. You might consider Usain Bolt as being arrogant. But you know something? When you can do it, you're not arrogant. Nobody can catch the dude. Nobody. He is the, rec- he is the world record holder of the 100, the 200, and the 4 by 100 meters. Come on now. He has been called the greatest sprinter in history. Come on. That's incredible. I love to watch him. And when you, when you watch him, he just glides across the line, and everybody behind him is straining to get to the tape. And that's what I mean by the strain. If you're a sprinter, when you get to the tape, you just throw your chest. You, you get to the tape as soon as you can. That's what Paul is saying. He loved to use athletic metaphors all the time. He used them all the time. You see, straining towards what is ahead, this one thing I do, one thing I do, one thing I do, I forget, and I strain towards what is ahead. Does that characterize our determination to follow and pursue Jesus? I trust that it does. Also, the pursuit of Jesus is humble, it's determined, but it's also ambitious. It's ambitious. Sometimes I think we look at ambition as being negative. Well, you know, you shouldn't have an ambition. No, I disagree. I think we should be ambitious. This, this idea, you can, I think you can see that in Paul. Paul is straining. He's, he's pushing forward. I press on. There is an ambition that he has to pursue Christ. It's a spiritual drive. He wants to grow exponentially in his, in his pursuit of Jesus. And you see, when Paul begins to talk about this, he says, he uses this word. He says, I press on towards the, ready, ready, goal for the prize that is heavenward in Christ. 
that's pretty that's pretty good. You see, I did say a minute ago that this pursuit of Jesus is a journey and not a destination. So don't misunderstand me. As the people of God, there is a destination that you and I share because we belong to Jesus. There is eternity. There is a eternal life. There is a heaven to be gained. And I want you to know you are on the pathway towards heaven when you are following Jesus. And that should encourage you every day of your life. This world is not my home. I am just passing through. Jesus Christ has prepared a place for me in the Father's house, and I am looking forward to the day when we are together with the family of God in the Father's house. Amen? Hallelujah. That is yet ahead of us. When Paul uses the word heavenward, it's easy for us to miss the fact that there's a lot of life to be lived from this moment until eternity. So what do we do with that in between? And I love what N.T. Wright said. Great biblical scholar. He is a New Testament professor at St. Andrews University. He's, he's amazing. He just said something really profound about this, this heavenward, this heavenward phrase. And here's how he says it. He says, he says, the goal, the goal is more than heaven. Hear this. Is more than heaven in our eternal dwelling. It means living in the present in light of that future. You understand this? Heaven is our eternal destination. But between now and then, we need to live in the light that heaven is truly our destination. We need to live as the people of God. We need to live as, as the children, as the citizens of another kingdom. We do that now. We do that now. It's ambitious. This is an ambition that each of us should strive to achieve. We should live this way. In fact, living in the light of the future, living in the light of the future challenges us in the present in extraordinary ways. When I understand that this, this world is not my home, I live differently. I live differently now in light of that future. Hear me. Hear me. I've thought about this a lot recently. Many of you, I think, have as well. We are seeing things in our time that are unprecedented. I'm just waiting for the next shoe to drop. Dust clouds flowing from the Sahara. Locust plagues in Africa moving into India. Murder hornets. Okay. Pestilence, plague, I mean, you just go on, earthquakes, what? Doesn't it sound a little bit like maybe we should be approaching the end of days? Doesn't it sound a little bit like that? But here's the thought that keeps coming across my mind, and I challenge you with it. Do not be ashamed of the coming of the Lord. Live in the light of heaven now. Because of that reality, live as a citizen of the kingdom of God now. Pursue him. Pursue him with an ambition. A true godly pursuit. And then lastly this morning, well, let me, this one, I gotta, I gotta read this one verse. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, I love it. Do you not know, Paul says, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way 
at the debt, the pride of an ambition to pursue him, to pursue what God has for your life. Finally, this pers- to pursue is, is challenging. It's challenging. Now, when you see the word challenge, you go, oh, man, I don't know that I really like challenge. For me, I love a good challenge. Bring it on. When I'm challenged with something, here's what happens. My competitive nature begins to rise up. I say, okay, that's a challenge. Let's see if we do it. Not only let's see if I, I'm, I'm not just going to do it, I want to get ahead of it. I want to achieve it. So when I think about the pursuit of Christ, this being a challenge, all right, I'm going to pursue it. But I'm not just going to pursue it half-heartedly. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to go after it. And I'm going to go after it hard. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, 15. This is where I draw a couple of these thoughts from. But first, listen to what he says. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In our pursuit of Christ, there are two things that challenge me from these verses. The first is to be mature. Paul is making the assumption that there are those in Philippi that are mature in the faith. And that's a right assumption. And I'm going to make the same assumption this morning. There are those this morning here who are mature in the faith. I'm grateful for that. But just because I have reached a level of maturity does not mean that I cannot go on to maturity. The word maturity means can be translated as being perfect or complete. Not perfection without sin and without fault, but perfection in the sense that we are complete. I want to be mature, perfect, and complete as I pursue Jesus Christ. That's a challenge for me. And for some of us this morning, that's a challenge. Be up to the challenge. Take the challenge on. I'm going to do this. I'm going to mature in the things of the Lord. You know, I'm amazed. Consider this. When we pursue Christ, we will mature. It's going to happen. It will. Ha- it's a natural byproduct of maturity. I am absolutely amazed at how much children learn in their first two years. It's, it's crazy. They go from completely dependent to by the time they're two, you can't keep up with them. And they're talking. They're eating on their own. They're, they're doing all kinds of, in just two years. I think of my whole life in two years, I'm going, well, have, well, have I really done much in the last two years? You think about it. Have I learned at the same level? Now, I get it. There's a difference. I get all of the biology. I understand that. But think of it this way. If, if I am pursuing Christ with an abandon, if I am truly focusing, if I'm forgetting, if I am straining, am I different today than I was two years ago? Is there an exponential growth in my life? Am I pursuing Christ that it now can be actually noticeable in my life? I hope so. I hope so. I think all of us should. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become what? Mature. Become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward 
with further understanding. You see, we come to faith and then we begin to get off of that little, that knob, as it were, and we progress. We move forward. We mature. That's a challenge to each of us. The second challenge is to live up. To live up. Now let me let me unpack this. This really struck me this week as I was and I and I understand it's it's traditional the context of it how it fleshes out here. I get it. But I want you to just think about this. Paul says let us live up to what we've already seen. Can I tell you it seems that there are so many Christ followers that live far below what they should and what they could because we are not pursuing Christ in the way that I believe would honor him. We simply live down what we should live up. We live down what we should live up. We pursue that career at the expense of everything and everyone. We pursue that experience recklessly. We pursue that relationship, that pleasure, that dream, the money, and at the end of it all, it is absolutely empty and bankrupt. We live down. To live up, we need to pursue God with abandon. To live up, we need to pursue God with abandon. See, it's challenging. What a challenge. But I'm up to the challenge. I hope you're up to the challenge. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. I love that scripture, to live a life worthy of your calling. You see, to pursue Christ is a challenge. And there are places and things that God will ask of us that may seem a little bit outside of our comfort zone. But when we're pursuing God, we're all in. And we're ready to do what God has asked us to do. So I want to want to do for a minute, I want to invite Adam and Amanda Sullivan to join me if they would. I want to talk a little bit about this in some practical ways. And this is, this is really, really significant and important. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hey, would you welcome these guys? They come. We got a we got a physical distance here to make sure that we're good to go. These guys live together, so they can sit next to each other. So that's all good. Thank you for for letting having a little conversation with me this morning. You know this whole idea about the challenge of of this pursuit of God takes us takes us places sometimes that we're you know that. Not that we're not prepared for it, but it really does challenge us. It pushes us. It pushes us to grow. It pushes us to, you know, to pray. It, pers- it pushes us in so many different ways. And so literally over the last 18 months or so, God has been challenging you in some very unique ways. Adam, take a minute or so and just kind of unpack what that challenge, this challenge of the pursuit of God to live up, what that looks like. Yeah, and this is, this is just a great message, Pastor. Um, you know, as you, as you pursue the Lord, and I, I truly believe as you do pursue him and you try to follow him the best you can, he is going to direct you to move up. He doesn't want you to stay still. He doesn't want you to move back. He wants you to move up. And so uh, 18 months ago, coming out of the 2019 uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting that we had here at Crossroads, we felt the Lord stirring some things in our hearts. And we were feeling God tugging on our hearts to start to think about and move towards being a lead pastor. And we didn't know what that was going to look like, and we didn't know where that was going to be. 
we had a lot of questions. Uh, but in, in prayer and in fasting, we felt directed to come to Pastor Gary and just to share this and to, uh, to seek his mentorship in pursuing this that God has laid on our hearts. And uh, I just want to take a minute and brag on your pastor for a second. Because in church, it is at times a risky conversation to go into the lead pastor and say, we're feeling God stir something in our hearts that might lead towards us transitioning. Because pastors, within every right that they have, you know, they could say, well, God bless you. We are excited that God is doing something in you. We will take this as your two-week notice and be blessed as you leave. But what we hoped that would happen and what we were rewarded with was Pastor Gary mentoring us for these last 18 months as we have prepared for what we felt God was, was putting on our hearts. And he is a gifted mentor. And he has poured into us and he has given us wisdom beyond his ears, wisdom from the <laughs> Lord. And, uh, and, and walked with us this last little bit. You know, it is when you guys came into my office that day, I don't know that I did, but the way that you came in, I think I probably had a grin on my face because I knew where this was leading. The grin was not in joy. It was just simply the knowledge of what was happening. I, I, I knew for some time that God was, you were ready. You guys were ready for whatever that was. But just for me, it was a matter of time until we had that conversation. Well, that being said, so here we, we start this process of time, and honestly, I didn't think, I thought 18 months, it was just 18 months, honestly. I didn't think it would take the time that it did, and they walked through a number of conversations with churches and, and leaders and a variety of things, and there just was door after door didn't seem to open, or this one didn't seem right, et cetera, et cetera. Then, January 2020 shows up, and this thing called COVID-19 hits. So, Amanda, what, you know, what is, so take us through kind of that journey. Now, because the timing of this is really interesting on how God is putting things together. Sure. We, um, so we prayed. It was May 9th when we had our first conversation. So we were back in the beginning of March. Um, and then we started a series that we thought was going to be October 1. <laughs> and so um, a process that normally would have taken six months has been three weeks now it has been six months and it's been three weeks but uh that was so so that was um for me the biggest thing was really focused on church um while my husband had um we were through with the first month and then started a new one called ready to prosper and it was exploding well you know too and you guys and i need to brag on the both of you i want to tell you something for 18 months 18 months, you guys have just, every bit of energy, anything and everything that can be done as for the church, for this body of believers, you guys have done. They have done an awesome job. These are amazing servants of the Lord. We commend them today for everything that they have done these past almost 10 years. You know, it's just extraordinary. And I said this, I said this earlier, and I think it's, it's just meaningful, is that this place is really your life. You, I, that, that's a, maybe an oversimplification, but you've had three babies this year. God was gracious to you. Cancer, God healed you, brought you through that year. And now God is 
getting ready to do something to hear Brother Challenge this guy. And so, and it happened, something happened just like last weekend. So, like, what happened last weekend, buddy? So, last week we were not here at church in Crossroads, and uh, we were trying to keep that quiet. Um, and so, we, we traveled up to Washington State, and we preached at a church in the town of Sultan, which is about 40 minutes outside of Seattle, Washington. And um, after we shared what God had laid on our heart, we had held a business meeting, and they overwhelmingly elected us as lead pastors of that Assembly of God church in Absolutely. Sultan, Washington. Praise God. Bless you guys. That's cool. That's so cool. You know, uh, again, we rejoice not because of leaving, but because of the challenge of accepting it. When you pursue Christ, hear me, when you pursue Christ, he's going to put challenges in front of you. And then what are you going to do with them? You guys have accepted that challenge. And God has great things for the two of you even for the site, great things for the church in Sultan, Washington. We appreciate you guys. We love you. And uh, so we're going to miss you. We're excited. We're excited to have God in this thing. Amanda, what last kind of thought would you like to just leave with us today? You know, this is such a, an overwhelming time for us. We, um, we are excited about this new season and we are ready to take on the challenge. Um, but at the same time, Pastor said, we've been here for uh, almost nine years, and we love Crossroads. This is, this is definitely home. We have put roots into this place for like, for like the Kings, the King of Kings, and so we miss, we miss you, and we miss joining in with Crossroads and other things that God has for people to be joining us with for a lot of years, and so even though we're excited, we're very overwhelmed for the new season. you're always a part of what God has done in Crossroads, and that's cool. Now, we're going to be, uh, we're going to miss you, and we're excited for you. Would you give one more time, just give them a hand. Bless you guys. Thank you. Bless you. Adam, stay close here. So, here's what's going to happen. We're going to honor these guys on the 19th of July, okay? Now, <laughs> okay, we have a lot of weird going on. So we can't honor people like we normally do. So we're going to do a little, little different. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. Okay, We're going to create most likely a drive. We're going to do a drive-by. Now, not the kind of drive-by that you might be thinking of. But we're, you know, you maybe you want to, you guys need some youth pastors. You could bring a water balloon or two. You know, that, that may not, I don't know. No, you can't, honestly. It would be great. All that to say, we're going to honor them on the 19th of July with a drive-by. And we want to. We want to bless them, and one of the ways that we can bless them is on our drop-down menu on our giving platform on our website. There is what you would, what I would say is Sullivan appreciation, something along those lines. Would you do me a favor? Will you give generously to the Sullivans? We want to bless them. We really want to bless them, so that they just walk from here knowing how much. And I know they know how much you love them, but this is a significant relationship. So if you'd be so kind to do that, we're going to be up for about the, that's going to be available for about the next month or two. So we'll make sure that we bless them and bless their families. We'll give you more information as time starts rolling out. All right? One last thought this morning before we close. Okay? A diligent pursuit of Christ and the outcomes it produces in our lives will sustain and be sustained.
and you'll be loved by God. And if there's ever a time in our history that we desperately need the joy to be sustained and refueled, regardless of the circumstance of our life, what surrounds us is today. The pursuit of Christ 